Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse number 14. Let us rise up and build. I'm going to say that again. Let us rise up and build. Today, the message, as we're moving through these gates, the overall, uh, Nehemiah 2.18 is our overall key verse, our anchor verse for this series. When Nehemiah shares with the people in Jerusalem about the state that they're in and what God has done in bringing him there to rebuild, he, they said, let us rise up and build. They said, let us rise up and build. And the Bible says the people set their hand to that great work. We've come to chapter 3. And they're beginning to build. There's a, what do you see in chapter 3? There's a lot of activity in chapter 3. A lot of movement. Everyone's involved. Just like the Lord wants everyone involved in the work today. You remember Ephesians says every ligament and joint supplies that it may cause growth. Everyone in this room has Holy Spirit anointing upon your life to do something great for his name's sake. You say, well, do I, am I anointed? No, you are anointed. You are anointed. You've been called by God to get on this wall and help us build this work here. We come to chapter 3 and verse 14. Here's how it reads. This will be on the screen. Melchijah, the son of Rechab, leader of the district of Beth Hurricane, repaired the refuse gate. Everyone say the refuse gate. Some translation, the dung gate. We're talking about some trash today. Okay, come on, that's it. I said refuse, and somebody said, I thought the Dungate was the next one. I said, it's the same thing. It's a synonym. The refuse gate. He built it and hung its doors and its bolts and its bars. Look at this graphic here, if you would. They're going to have a, a graphic up here of the city. Notice here the bottom of this graphic you see in the southern part of the city of Jerusalem, the old the, I've, wa I've walked the old city, some of you have too, where that was, the areas where this was. And what this is, is the Dungate. And what this is, this is also called the Refuse Gate, the Dungate. It's also called, the, right outside this gate, is the Valley of Hinnom. And it was basically Jerusalem's trash dump. And, and what happened there, there was a perpetual fire there, burning all the time. All the time, 24 hours a day, they would burn the trash of the city, of the refuse of the city of Jerusalem. Now just think for just a moment. If in your house you went one week without a trash, the trash guy, two weeks. Three weeks, it's getting critical. Four weeks, I, I mean, you know, we need, we, need, we need trash removal, right? It's important that we have that. And, and just think about in our city, if, if for a month or so the trash workers went on strike, it would begin to stink, it would begin to build up. And, and in a practical sense, sense, that's exactly what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with the sanitary nature of the keeping the city of Jerusalem clean. But of course, we, uh, we're going to talk about something else today that I think is a vital message in the modern day church. See, because we need, we need addition to our life. We talk about the blessing of God, and we want the Lord to add blessing to our lives. But can I tell you this? To be a healthy Christian, you not only need addition, but we need subtraction. We need some things removed out of our lives. Are you, are you tracking with me? We need some things removed out of our lives. And theologically, we call this repentance. Now, repentance has become a dirty word in the liberal churches of the day, but do you realize the very first thing that Jesus ever said in his preaching ministry was these words, repent for the kingdom of God's at hand. Well, let me tell you, if Jesus can say it, I'm going to say it today because that's what he wants us to do. So the, the, here's the thing. The refuse gate reminds us of at least two things. One, as I mentioned, the valley of Hinnom. Now, one of the things that happened here before, uh, before Jesus' day and before the first century church is in this valley is where idolaters would worship idols. This, this valley was filled with idols and one of the most wicked kings to ever live. In fact, he was the, the, the son of one of the most godly kings to ever live. Now, that, that brings us to a thought, doesn't it? Just because you're living for God, you got to make sure your kids are living for God. Do you realize we're one generation away from the church being extinct? You say, you're kidding. It could never happen to America. It's happening right before our eyes right now. Go to Ephesus today. All there is is ruins there. 
Jesus said, if you don't repent, I'll remove your candlestick. There's not even a church there today. There's not even a city there today. We're one generation away. And so godly king Hezekiah had a son named Manasseh who became one of the most wicked kings to ever live. He was so wicked, he would take his own children and burn them to, and offer them to a false god named Molech. We read that in 2 Chronicles 33, 6. And all, all, he, also he, Manasseh, caused his sons to pass through the fire of the valley of the son of Hinnom. He practiced soothsaying. He used witchcraft and sorcery. This is a preacher's kid. This is a godly king's kid doing this right here. It says, he consulted mediums and spirits. spirits. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anchor, anger. But then guess what? Another king came on the scene. And I believe there's a young king came on the scene. And I believe that we have some young people today that really want to serve God. I can tell you, not all the kids are doing bad stuff. There's some kids that love God. We have some kids that many Wednesdays, before you're even awake, these teenagers will come into this sanctuary and they will pray and they'll seek God from like six to seven in the morning. Some of the kids that go to this church. And a godly young king arose and he decided to stop all that idolatry. And the Bible says in 2 Kings 23.10, godly Josiah says, and he, Josiah, defiled Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man may make his son or daughter pass through the fires of Molech. It was a horrible place of idolatry. Josiah dealt with it. Do you know Jesus referred to this valley? Jesus knew about this valley. Jesus called this valley Gehenna. He likened it to hell itself. Jesus said this in Mark 9. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. For it would be better you to enter life maim rather than have two hands and go into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. He's giving an illustration of the trash dump where you went through the refuse gate and you burned all your trash. It burned there 24 hours a day. Here's Jesus giving a very vivid illustration of, the, of what happened right outside this gate. Mark 9, 48, he says, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So Jesus used this, this, this modern day illustration in his day. He said, and I'm, putting, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, just like the dump, the Hinoam, we burn all our trash there. It burns this perpetual fire there. He said, that's what hell's gonna be like. That's, gonna, that's what everyone that's gonna live that way for all of eternity who reject the gospel and who reject my name for, for their sins. Here's what the NLT study Bible says. He says in this footnote, the horror of hell is emphasized by its portrayal as a place for, of everlasting fire and the decay and the corruption. Notice where maggots eternally eat everything away. The putrid smell of decay and the presence of maggots in the valley of Hinoam may lie behind the imagery. The imagery is a powerful warning for people to repent in order to escape the punishment of hell. Now that's a, that's a footnote of a description of a sermon Jesus preached. Jesus warned people of things that we need to warn them for. Now we come back to Nehemiah's day. In Nehemiah's day, you know, the city had been broken down. The, the, the gates are burned. The, the wall is broken down. There's, there's burn marks all over that because of, of the Babylonians that had come in and destroyed the city. Nehemiah goes and he surveys the city. He wants to see how bad it is. He, he, he hasn't, this is, this is before he shared in, in 218, just right before that, he shares, he, he gets there, but he hasn't told anyone that God has told him to come and rebuild the walls and repair the gates. So he wants to go out. He wants to see how bad it is. And we, we get the report of that nighttime rod, Nehemiah 2.13. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well. So he goes out of the valley gate and he goes south toward the dung gate. Uh, and, the, and the refuse gate. And I view the wall of Jerusalem, which was broken down. Its gates were burned with fire. And he says, then I went to the fountain gate of the king's pool. Notice, uh, there was no room for an animal under me to pass. There was so much rubble. There was so much stuff built up. So I went up by night by the valley gate. He goes back up. He turns around and goes back. And he viewed the wall. Then he turned back and entered the valley gate. So he returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what, uh, what I had done. And I had not yet told the Jews, priests, nobles, or officials the work that the Lord had called me to do. So what does he do? He goes and he says, I need to go see how bad it is. 
you know? And I, I need to see the condition of the wall. And I think we need to say today, what's the condition of the church today? What's it like today? How bad is it? What's the condition of our nation today? What's the family condition? What's our condition today? What's, what's the reality of the situation? I fear sometimes that we're worshiping among broken down walls and burned gates or vice versa. We're worshiping and, and yet we don't really know what the condition of it all is. I think sometimes the, the, the modern day church is like the emperor's new clothes. You remember the story of the emperor's new clothes? When the, when they, the weavers said, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna you know, weave you some new clothes, but they're special clothes, they're invisible clothes. And then when the, when the king begins to prance down the street, nobody will admit the obvious. He has no clothes on. He's naked. But nobody wants to say anything because of embarrassment. They may be called stupid. And then a little child in the little story raises her voice. Why doesn't the emperor have any clothes on? And I fear sometimes we don't want to admit the obvious, that maybe the church is not where we need to be. Maybe there's some things we need to turn away from. Maybe this, come on church, maybe there's some worldliness and sinfulness and ungodliness that God said I will not tolerate, but yet we're worshiping and yet we're naked and we're blind and we're poor like the church at Laodicea. What's the situation in the land today? Well, let me just give you just a couple illustrations and then we'll jump into this. What about marriage today in our country? I heard, a, I heard an old man say one time, he's passed on now, I'm sure, but he said one time, an old man said, I was 21 years old before I ever even heard anyone getting a divorce. And now no one in this room could think of any, no one in this room can even imagine that. I want you to think about this. There was a book that I read several years ago by Peter Hitchens. Peter Hitchens was Christopher Hitchens' brother. Christopher Hitchens was the famous atheist. Peter, his brother, is a Christian. He's an Anglican in England. He talked in his book, The Rage Against God, which is an incredible book about the demise of, of, of England, about the demise of, of, of the, he traces in the book how, how Christianity was the pillar of England, was the pillar of the British Empire, and how now that has been so, that has been gone, they've gone down a road towards secularism, and I don't think they're ever going to come back. Without a miracle revival, they'll never, ever come back. He talks about fatherless homes. And in our country, a man named Dr. Frank Turek pointed out the, the damage that fatherless homes have done. I want you to listen to these statistics. Seven children in fatherless homes are seven times more likely to live in poverty. Seven times more. Six times more likely to commit suicide. More than twice as likely to become pregnant out of wedlock. They're worse off academically and socially, fatherless homes, worse off physically, emotionally when they reach adulthood. Also, he observed this, that 60% that, that of the America's rapists come from fatherless homes. 63% of youth suicides, fatherless homes. 70% of America's long-term prison inmates, fatherless homes. 70% of America's reformed school attendees, fatherless homes. 71% of America's teenage pregnancy, fatherless homes. 71% of America's high school dropouts, fatherless homes. 72% of America's adolescent murderers come from fatherless homes. Isn't that interesting? Now I'm talking about what the wall looks like today. I'm talking about Nehemiah walking out today and really getting a picture. Where are we really at today in our country? Where are we really at today in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the country? Because I believe the answer to the nation is the church. An on fire, dynamic, Holy Ghost church could turn this nation. There was a fascinating study in 1927 by a man named J.D. Ur Ur Irwin, uh, Unwin. He did a study. Now, this man is not a Christian. There was nothing Christian about this study, zero. This guy was just a professor, and he did a study. And, and what his study was based on, uh, he says this, Unwin was seeking to test the Freudian notion that civilization is a byproduct of, of, of repressed sexuality. The Freudian notion that all civilizations are the byproduct of repressed sexuality. So Unwin did a study. Listen to this. He studied 86 different societies, 86, and he was absolutely startled at his findings. What did he find? 
Here's what he found. In all 86 of those societies, there was a, there was a direct tie between monogamy and the blessing on that society. Not in half, not in a fourth, not even in nine-tenths. In every single one of those societies, there was a direct correlation between monogamy, faithfulness in marriage, and the blessing on that society. And he says this, it says, Unwin had no Christian conviction and he had absolutely no moral judgment. This wasn't a, some preacher doing this. He said, I offer no uh, option, I'm sorry, I offer no opinion about the rightness or wrong of this, but here's what he concluded. In the human record, there is no instance of a society, not one, not one instance of society retaining its energy after a complete new generation has inherited a, a tradition which does not insist on prenuptial and postnuptial continuance. So, to quote, the whole of the human history does not contain one single instance of a group becoming civilized unless it has been absolutely monogamous, nor is there any example of a group retaining its culture after it has adopted less rigorous customs. Here's the interpretation. When marriage breaks down, when family breaks down, society breaks down. And I'm gonna tell you what I think today. Marriage has broken down in and out of the church. We have, we have almost nothing to say to the society today. We have almost nothing to say. We have, almost have very little moral conviction to say that our lives are different. What I think ought to happen today, it ought to be so hard to divorce that people ought to think a thousand times before they get married. I think it ought to be so hard to divorce, but we have almost no fault divorce today. And what we're seeing today, I think we're seeing this. If we as a nation and as a church do not get back to God, our best days are behind us, not ahead of us. We, we desperately need to get back to Jesus Christ today. Do you believe that? What are we seeing in our nation today? We need to repent today. We need, we need the refuse gates. We've got to get the refuse out of the church. We need to get the refuse and the sin out of the nation. What do you mean? There's sexual perversion of every stripe and every type, from adultery to fornication to homosexuality, et cetera, et cetera. The murder of babies in the womb. Are you with me today? I don't know what you came to get, but I'm giving you a word from God today. Murders in the womb. Idolatry, which is greed and the love of pleasure. Divorce, no fault divorce. The neglect of children. We need to get back to God today. So how does it apply to us? How does it apply to the church? We need a refuse gate. We need a refuse gate. See, because we have a Savior that saves from the penalty of sin, but that's not, the only, that's not only what he does. He saves from the pollution of sin. You hear that? Can I say that again? We have a Jesus that saves from the penalty of sin, which we all deserve that penalty. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Jesus doesn't leave us that way. We have a Jesus that cleanses us and gives us freedom from the pollution of sin. And I'm going to tell you what's happened in our theology today. There is such a divide between salvation and sanctification that the twain shall never meet. And there's a false gospel going out that somehow that you can have Jesus, but you don't have to break with sin. You don't have to break with the world. You don't have to repent and be converted. But that's not what my Bible teaches. We need a refuge gate in the church today. We have Jesus that's a cleanser. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1.7. Look, look at this verse. 2 Corinthians 1.7. Therefore, having these promises, dearly beloved, let us, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness, all filthiness. Can't we get by with a little bit, preacher? What kind of church are we going to build here? I'm looking you in the eye today. What kind of church are we going to build here today? Just a crowd or holy people? My wife read to you, God is building a holy temple in the Lord. All filthiness of what? The flesh and the spirit, inside and outside. Come on, inside and outside, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. All right, all that's introduction. <laughs> I have two points today, I'll be quick on them. I just have two things I want to say. All that was introduction, by the way. You laugh. Why are you laughing? I'm serious. <laughs> you say, oh, Lord. <laughs> Stomach hungry. Oh, Lord. All right. Now, I still got time. Come on. Amen. 
First of all, here's my first point, and that's this. We need to give rubbish, rubbish its proper name. Right. We need to give rubbish its proper name. Listen to me. No matter what societies may label something and relabel it and relabel it and relabel it is irrelevant to the church. Here's the reason why. What God calls something in his holy word is what it really is. Now some of you are real weak on that part there. Societies ebb and flow. Peoples in secular society, they ebb and flow with what their thoughts are on certain things. Things that were forbidden 50, 60 years ago have been highly accepted today. And it may change again tomorrow. That's not how the church lives. That's not how a Christian lives. A Christian has a guide. A Christian has a compass. And it always will point to north. It's always accurate. It will never fail you. And we need to call rubbish by its right name. We need to give it its proper name because the word of God gives clarity on every issue that we will ever deal with. John 17, 17, sanctify them through your word. Your word is truth. truth. We've lost truth today. Truth is not something that is great to me. Truth is not something that's on a sliding scale and changes from decade to decade. The truth of God's word never changes. Jesus said he was the way and the truth. So the word of God is our moral compass. Thy word is a lamp to my feet. Thy word is a light to our path. So the word, we need to call rubbish what it is. We need to give it its proper name. We don't need to allow the secular world to try to dictate to us. They don't know the word of God. They're not saved. We want them to be saved. Anyone can be saved if they want to be saved. But we have the knowledge of God. We have the truth of God. We have the revelation of the unchanging word of God. And the word of God defines what sin is. What is sin, Pastor? 1 John 3 and verse 4 tells us what sin is. 1 John 3, 4. Whoever commits sin commits lawlessness. And sin is, sin is lawlessness. There you go. That's what sin is. Sin is breaking God's moral law that has been given to us. Sin is breaking the law that has been clearly revealed in the word of God. Now listen, the law cannot save you, but the law brings conviction And the law can be used as a Christian after I get saved to show me what is right and what is wrong. It can't save me. Only the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus can save you. Only the blood of Jesus can save you. You can say, I'm going to try to live God's moral standards. You'll never do it on your own because we're fallen creatures. That's why we need the grace of God. You're not saved by law, but you're saved by grace through faith. But God's moral law still has a place in the Christian's life. Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians 1.8. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. The law of God brings light to someone's sin. and someone's law. It tells us what's good and what's right. It's our moral compass for us. Don't you think we need to read? Let me just read to you the Ten Commandments. We need, you know, used to when I was a kid, this used to be posted on the schoolhouse wall. They tore that down, took prayer out of school and all this and that. Are we better off for it? I mean, we've torn down the refuse gate and we're absolutely polluted. Are our children better? Are our children more respectful? Are their marriages staying together? Is there less addiction? Can they control the things? Can they control their lives? No, we're not better off as a nation. Why? Because the church lost, we, we let the refuse gate be torn down. Exodus, let's just read this. This will be on the screen. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other God before me. There's one God. He's revealed his Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three in one. One God. God the Father so loved that he sent his Son. Jesus died and resurrected and is at the right hand and sent the blessed Holy Spirit No other gods. There's only one God, one creator, no other gods. Our land is polluted with gods. 
Witchcraft is on the rise. Absolutely. New age on the rise. A lot of these false religions can never forgive your sin. There's no gospel in them. There's no hope in them. There's no, there's no, there's no hope in that. There's no peace that they can. Only Jesus Christ can bring peace. Oh, how far have we drifted? We have in God, we trust on our money. We have all, all these things in our nation that are rooted in the word of God and we've drifted away from them. Are we any better? No. It says in verse four, or verse uh, four, you shall, make, you shall not make for yourselves a carved image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or, or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. I don't need an idol. I don't need, we don't have any idol. We don't have any statues in here of, of certain things. Why? Because we, work, we, we, really, we worship the invisible God. God is a spirit and they that worship him in, worship in spirit and in truth. But he, but, but he came among us 2,000 years ago. For 33 and a half years, he lived to show us God because he was God, God the Son. But we don't worship carved images. I used to go to a church growing up that we had these images. You know, you go around and pray to this guy and that guy and burn these candles. I don't need a candle. I don't need an image. Why? I've got Christ in me, the hope of glory. Come on, somebody shout. Christ in me, the hope of glory. I have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I don't need an idol. I don't need a statue. I don't need a talisman. Because he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Glory to God. Shall I read on? I love this. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Verse 5, I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God. Visited the iniquity on the fathers, uh, upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands of those who, keep, who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The, whole, the name of Jesus is, is holy. The name of God is holy. We should reverence his name. His name is not used as a curse word, but you know what? Even Christians may not use it as a curse word, but may speak it out in some empty, frivolous way. Don't you know you're speaking the name of God? Then it says, Verse eight, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Now we don't keep Saturday with Sabbath. We don't keep Sabbath. We're not Sabbath keepers because the Sabbath is not mentioned in the New Testament as something Christians could do, but we have another day. What day is that? What is that day? What day did the New Testament church meet? It's called the first day of the week. What do you think the first day of the week is? And some of you are going to say, oh, well, Monday's the first day of the week. No, it's not. You're in the first day of the week. What, a, what, what happened on the Sunday, Monday? No, it's talking about Blue Monday. No, I'm talking about first day is Happy Sunday. Come on. Maybe, maybe if we'd be more faithful to Happy Sunday, old Blue Monday wouldn't be so blue. We'd be happy too. First day of the week. What happened on the first day of the week? What's the, what's the most significant thing that ever happened on the first day of the week? The first day of the week, they went to the tomb on the first day of the week. Peter and John, John outran him. Peter must have been slow. Mary Magdalene, she goes. Some ladies went. Stone rolled away. Why? Because on the first day of the week was when Jesus rose it was on the first day of the week. Listen to me. The last 2,000 years, the church has met on the first day of the week. Now listen, what has happened to modern day Christians that they cannot give not even a day, hour or two on Sunday morning, not a day. We talk about a day. No, Christians don't even give a day anymore. Now I'm meddling right now, but I'm just going to keep meddling. Somebody say, are you pastoring? No, I'm pestering right now. I'm pestering the saint. What has happened to the church in America? You got people that cannot take one morning out of seven to honor God. We have our day. It's a day of resurrection. It's a day when believers come together for worship, for prayer, for, for encouragement to live for God. I'm talking about the refuge gate. We gotta get some stuff right here. Look at verse nine, quick. Six days. You shall labor and do your work. On the seventh day, you shall, uh, the day is the Sabbath to the Lord, and that was for Jews, of course. 
And it talks about there. Let's skip on down. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God gives you. What's happened to our homes? For our kids, nasty words. I'm not necessarily talking about you. I'm talking about general right now. Mom and dad that, that, that gave them life, that gave them birth, that, that put food on their table, that diapered them when they were young and, and, and touched their fevered brows and the disrespect and the sinfulness among young people today. I think we need to clean some things up. Yeah. You say, well, my dad, my dad, my mom are not Christians. Doesn't matter. They're still your mom and dad. Honor them. You say, well, they don't live honor. Look for where you can honor them. Find something to honor them. It's important. Look at this. You shall not commit adultery. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Adultery. What's adultery? Adultery is someone who's married having sexual relationships outside those marriage bonds. That's a sin against God, and God will judge it. Fornication is any sexual activity outside of marriage that someone may, cre- that, that someone may engage in. It's a sin. It's, 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 it's proliferated in America today. We need to think about it. Look at this. Verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not make up a story. False witness. You know there's people that spent decades in prison, somebody lied about them, made up a story. A lie is very powerful in a negative way. Look at verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that is in your neighbor's. No covetousness. No greed and covetousness. Now, now think about this. When Jesus Christ, our Lord, lived on this earth, in his ministry, he confronted sin. Do you hear that? He confronted sin. He, divine, he defined what sin is. I, I, I really am afraid that many modern day people think Jesus was just like a, somebody that walked around in a long robe with flip flops on and he was like a new age guru that kind of just spouted kind of new age you know, little phrases and mantras. No, my friend, he was the son of God. He was God's prophet. The Son of God coming to speak the very words of God and confront the world with its sin and to die for its sin. John said it this way. I'm sorry, Jesus said it this way. And this is condemnation that light has come in the world. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. That's what deeds were evil. That's what Jesus said. You know what what else is said of Jesus? Lest we think he's just this guy that just kind of wants to get us together in a little small group and all just kind of be all kumbaya. Oh, no, no. Here's what it says of Jesus. John 7, 7. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I, what? I testify that its works are evil. I testify. That's spoken word. I tell the word. I tell the world the truth. I speak the truth that what they're doing is evil. And we have an illustration of this quickly. Matthew chapter 15. Here's what Jesus says in his, one of his teachings. Matthew 15. Now what happens is, I'll just go through part of this. In, in, chapter, in verse one, he is dealing with the scribes and Pharisees and he's, he's convicting them of sin because they come and say, you know, they're, they're, they have all kind of sin in their lives and they're worried about the disciples and Jesus not washing their hands before they eat. I mean, that's not the biggest issue in the world. But to them, it's a big deal. And, and Jesus turns around and says, you know what? You are, you are touching on such a minor thing and yet, the Bible says, honor your father and your mother. And these wicked religious leaders had, had finagled around and wheedled around to where they, they, they didn't have to, to support their parents because they took their money and dedicated it to the temple and they could call it what they called Korban, which that's how they sidestepped the word of God. And Jesus said, you're the ones that have sinned, not me. And then he said this, verse eight, they, these people draw near to me with their mouth, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And then here's what Jesus says. Now I want to remind you, this, these are the words of Jesus. The one that people think just walked around and, and, and just spouted a bunch of little phrases. No, he defines what sin is and the source of our sin. Verse 10, 
And he called the multitude to himself and he said to them, hear and understand what goes out, or rather what goes into the mouth, what, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles the man. And then they, verse 12, it says, hey, don't you know you, do, you, you, you offended? You offended the Pharisees. Don't you know that you, the Pharisees were offended when, you, when they heard this saying? I don't think Jesus cared about that. I don't think he worried about offending them. That wasn't his goal. Notice this. He said, every plant that my heavenly Father's not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. If the blind lead the blind, they both fall in the ditch. So then Peter comes in verse 15. Explain this parable to us. And Jesus is like, it's not a parable. I didn't tell a story. I gave you clear teaching. So notice what Jesus does here. Are you still without understanding? Do you not understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth, notice what Jesus talked about here, come from the heart. This, and, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications. These are the words of Jesus now. Thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Notice what Jesus talks about here. He warns about sin. He warns the source of sin is the unregenerate human heart. Notice what he says here. He warns about evil thoughts. How many of us today, I mean maybe this week, watch things that just fill our hearts with things and fill our minds with things that have nothing to do with God. And if Jesus was sitting right there next to us, we would be absolutely ashamed. Evil thoughts. What about murders? Murders. Have you noticed how many more murders there are now? There are so many murders. And then he mentions adulteries. This is, this is as I said, a married person that's in covenant marriage that has sexual relations with someone that is not with their married partner. And then he mentions fornication. That's the word where it's, it's someone who's not in a marriage, but yet they're engaging in immorality. It could be, it could be sex with a boyfriend, a girlfriend. It could be, it include this, it's, it's where we get the word pornea from, pornography, sexual, it could include homosexuality, lesbianism, it, it, every kind of thing imaginable is that word fornication, pornea, it's just kind of a big pot, with, it means sexual immorality, I think, in the NIV. So think about that. And then he says, thefts, et cetera, et cetera. Do you see what Jesus did here? See, listen to me today. We need to give refuse its proper name. Amen. Now notice this. Turn, turn over, if you would, to Ephesians quickly. I know our time's running. Ephesians chapter five. <laughs> Ephesians five and, and verse one. Not only did Jesus give refuge its proper name. But the New Testament writers also gave refuge its proper name. Now you understand, when I'm talking about refuge, we all got it. I'm not talking about an old soup can. I'm not talking about the stuff you throw out in your trash. I'm talking about spiritual trash. I'm talking about sin. I'm talking about uncleanness today in the sight of God. I'm talking about disobedience to his word. I'm talking about those things that Jesus just mentioned that we have to repent of and get our hearts right with God or God's blessing will not be upon us. Notice what Paul says. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Now notice this. Walk in love. Walk in love. Don't you, don't you think we need to walk in love? Well, my question to you, what is love? What is love? Is love just some kind of sentimentality? No, love has, love has spiritual character to it. Real love. So notice what he says here. Walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Verse, verse, isn't it interesting? Verse three, but fornication... And, and all uncleanness or covetousness, so let, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. This is not fitting for a Christian. Notice this. Notice he talks about love and then he says flee fornication. Let's think about it. How many, how many a boyfriend 
has said, well, you know, if you love me, you will, let's just be plain here. If you love me, you'll do this. And yet Jesus says here through Paul, that is the very opposite of love. We've got to give refuge its proper name. The world has got in our mind to think that's love. That's not love. See, how do I know it's not love? Because anyone that would lead you into any activity that would damage your relationship with God is not love, but it's true hate. And it's deception. Anyone that loves you would say, I will respect you. Can I hear an amen there? All right, now I'm preaching better than you're amening. I'm going to read, hurry, I'm going to hurry here. Nor fi- neither, verse four, neither filthiness nor foolish talking. Sometimes God said, even a Christian, you talk too much. He said, notice he says, foolish talking. Sometimes we, not, we not, might, might not be using evil words, but we're talking too much. We need to be swift to hear. And then he says this, coarse jesting. I was on the golf course a number of years ago and I was playing golf with a guy and, and inevitably we play and we get to about the 10th hole and then somebody will say, hey, what do you do? It happens every time. This gentleman I was with, he was uh, filthy mouth, filthy. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about just saying a cuss word. This guy was filthy, dirty, dirty-minded. Finally, this guy said, hey, by the way, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a, I'm a minister of the gospel. I'm a pastor of a church. Oh, yeah, I'm a deacon at the Presbyterian Church. That's what he said. I thought, you're a devil is what you are, you fella. That's what he said. Oh, yeah, I'm a deacon at the Presbyterian Church. Oh, See how we need the refuse gate? Mm. We got to get cleaned up. Talking about the church in America. Norse fitting, rather giving of thanks. Verse five, verse five. Uh, For this you know that nor, look at this. Every young person, every person needs to hear this. Because many of you, maybe in this room, you've been completely deceived by the false prophets. Look at this, look at verse five. For you know that no fornicator, not one, no fornicator, unclean person who's a covetous man, who's an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. People that are living in sexual immorality, some of these folks are gonna go to hell from a church pew because they will not enter the kingdom of God. And preachers have told people, you're safe no matter what you do. That's not what the Bible teaches. You better get right. You better get your heart clean. Let no one deceive you with empty words, see? Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. For you were once darkness, but you are now light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. I'm different now. You say, Pastor, have you committed sins? Absolutely, tons of them. But that's my old life. That's not my new life. I'm a new creation. You're a new creation. Now what we're going to do? We're going to walk in light now. Look at this. For the fruit of righteous, the fruit of the Spirit is goodness and righteousness and truth. And notice this. The fruit of the Spirit is good, right, goodness, righteousness, and truth. Not just speaking in tongues. Right. I've met some Pentecostal folks. They could speak in tongues. They couldn't live right. Come on, church. I'm just being plain with you today. What kind of church are we going to build on this property? Look at this. Find out what is acceptable to the Lord. Have, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather, rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. He said, let me talk about those things. For all, all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. If you live for God, you're light. You're light. I'm gonna tell you, there's gonna come a time they ain't inviting you to their pot parties. You're not going to get the invitation to the drinking party. I can promise you. Why? Because you're so full of Jesus. You're so full of praise. You're so full of the love of God. You love him so much. We're not trying to condemn. I'm talking to the church today. The world does what it does because they're just, that's what they do. They need the love of God. They need the gospel. Our issue is the church. The, the refuge gate's all broken down. Got to get clean. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. 
Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Literally, arise out of the dead places. Arise out of the dead. You're not among the dead anymore. Rise up above them in the name of Jesus. Come on, amen. Amen. I close with this. Let's stand. Mm. Jesus. Come on, somebody say Jesus today. Jesus. Jesus. Oh, help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Our, our musicians are coming. We, get, we, need to, we need to give refuge its proper name. We need to say what the word of God says. In my, I told you I had two points. Here's my second one. Maintaining holiness is hard work. It's hard to, on that refuse gate, you read chapter three, there was so, they, they were complaining because there was so much stuff there. Yeah, it's hard work. It's probably hard to build that refuse gate. We have this, we have this weird thing going on today where, and it's not new, it's really not new, church. It's not new, I promise you it's not new. But this deal where, um, well, like in Jude, it says, certain men have crept in and notice who long ago were marked out for condemnation. Notice this, who turned the grace of God into lawlessness and deny the only Lord. Who turned the grace of God in, into lasciviousness. Lascivious means license, license. Meaning, meaning, plainly meaning this, that they were preaching a gospel that the grace of God gives you the right to live any kind of ungodly way you want to live. And Jesus, or uh, Jesus' brother said, uh, and they deny the only Lord and Savior. Their condemnation's marked out. They're deceiving people. In other words, they preach the pardon of sin, but not the imperative for holiness. It's a false gospel. And, and, and you listen to some of these guys, and they preach... The, the salvation and sanctification is so far apart, they almost preach a gospel like this. Oh, you know, say yes, I want Jesus, but yet somewhere way, way down the road in 40 years that you're gonna quit all that sinning business. That is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. The gospel changes you. Listen to me, listen to me. The gospel is a moral change. Charles Spurgeon had it right. Charles Spurgeon had it right. Baptist preacher said this, if the grace which I profess to have received leaves me in the same condition I was before I received it, it's not New Testament grace. It's not New Testament grace. New Testament grace takes a Saul and makes him a Paul. New Testament grace takes a demon-possessed man who was cutting himself and screaming out and couldn't even be kept with change, and then all of a sudden, he's sitting, he's clothed, he's in his right mind. That's what this gospel can do. My close is this today. And I, I wanted to have more time, but to, at the end, but listen, we gotta get our hearts right. You better not walk out of this place with sin in your heart. Okay, guys, guys, if you've got pornography on your computer, you better run and throw the thing in the trash. The whole thing, because it'll damn your soul. Throw it away. Put it in the back of your pickup. Find a dump somewhere. Dump the whole thing. Jesus said, cut your hand off if it causes you to stumble. Pluck your eye out. He said, listen, it's hard work. You got to deal radically with sin. And he wasn't talking... You know, literally, he was talking symbolically. He was talking, this, this is a radical way you need to deal with sin. Ladies, you got someone you're flirting with at your work? You better get right with God. You better, you, you'd be better to quit your job and take a job making half as much to save your soul. We got to deal with sin. Because there's coming a day if, if, if your sin doesn't catch up with you in this life, and sometimes it does, sometimes for some people, they get exposed in this life. But for many, it will be the next life. But I can tell you this, everything will be exposed in the day that we stand before Jesus Christ. And we will give an account of our lives. And God forbid, that anyone under the sound of my voice would hear these words. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say for you to do? 
For many in that day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do any wonderful works in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do all these things in your name? And Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me. Notice, you who practice lawlessness, breaking God's moral law. There it is again. Let's pray. Father, today we allow our hearts to be exposed to your holy and righteous word. Lord, today I pray that anyone under the sound of my voice who has rebelled against you, who has rebelled and hardened their hearts against you, Lord, I know, I know this. I know there's a great difference between weakness and wickedness. I realize that. There are Christians who are striving with all of their hearts and they're weak, but they're saying, Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. And Lord, you are so kind. You are so loving and so gracious to those tender sheep who are just weak, but yet you're growing them stronger. But Lord, I know there's a difference between that and wickedness. That person that is hard-heartedly sinning against you and they're grieving the Holy Spirit and they're becoming lawless. Lord, that person is in a dangerous place. I pray for their souls. I pray for their souls. I think, I know the hour's getting a little late, but I think I want us to sing just a bit and I want us to worship just a bit and I want you just to allow, just stay with me another moment. I want you just to worship and I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. The Holy Spirit has spoken to us today and I want you to allow God, if there's areas that you need to repent, I want you to repent. That means to turn away from it. Stop doing it by God's grace and help and His Holy Spirit and Word. Pray for His mercy and His forgiveness right now. Let's begin to sing, Holy Spirit, do your work.